I'm Luke. I'm John. Today we're changing letters, taking off and going wild in the aisles. It's morning game shows on Cracking TV. They spent their whole lives watching TV. Now they're sharing their opinions with you. Cause now they want to have some fun. With a channel that is all brand new. Get comfy and without further ado. They'll choose the shows that you want to view. It's time to change the channel too. Luke and John Cracking TV. Luke and John Cracking TV. Welcome to Cracking TV, where Luke and John, we've worked behind the scenes in television for nearly 50 years between us. We've been trying to crack its secrets. We're on a mission to create the dream schedule for our very own network, Cracking TV. Each episode, we'll be talking about classic shows from a particular genre, picking one to fill a slot in our schedule. We're going to find the ultimate programmes for the ultimate TV channel. We'll be taking it in turns to be the commissioner and the pitcher. The pitcher will bring a number of shows in the hope of scoring that big commission. However, the commissioner has already got a first-rate show in mind. The pitcher desperately wants one of his shows to win out and avoid the embarrassment of being thrown out of the commissioner's office. And this week, I'm the commissioner. Luke, thanks for coming in. I've asked you to pitch and try to fill my slot. We want some game shows that we can air in the morning. We're looking to fill the 9.25 game show slot. And it's perhaps just worth taking a moment to understand why the game show is going out at 9.25. Okay, yep. Breakfast Television was, and indeed still is, a a separate company on ITV. And the first ITV breakfast station was, of course, TVAM. Had a very talented rat that saved it, who I'm sure we'll be talking about in a later episode. Yeah, you love that rat. My absolute hero. But TVAM ran throughout the whole of the UK to 9.15 in the morning originally. That gave BT engineers time to switch the circuits to the transmitters from TVAM HQ in Camden to all of the regional ITV companies. And then from 9.25 until 9.30, each company would have their very formal start-up sequence. I remember that and it used to take ages. And I'm really glad that you've now explained that technical work in the background because I was always like, what is this? I'm watching the same channel and it's behaving as if it's starting from scratch and it's taking forever. Technically, it was starting from scratch. The 9.25 to 9.30 bit was the very formal announcement. And then after a little while, it became possible to automate the switch so that you could get from TVAMHQ to Thames Television from the Euston Road or Granada TV from Key Street in Manchester. You notice how I said the Euston Road, not London, but then I said Key Street, Manchester. That's London biased. I expect (laughs) that you know that Euston Road is in London, but I don't expect you to know that Key Street is in Manchester. But they managed to get this switch to be pretty much instant. But there was still the need to have the formal welcoming people to the station. Well, you say there was the need for that. I mean, from the perspective of the companies running the TV station that began at 9.25 then yes, they wanted to do the big, oh, welcome, this is what you're now watching. I would query whether any viewer cared or needed to know. Well, I use the word need advisedly because it's not just what the companies wanted, it's what the regulator, the IBA, required. Oh, okay. They had to say, this is Granada broadcasting on the transmitters of the Independent Broadcasting Authority in the Northwest, i.e. Winter Hill. Because if they didn't make that explicit, first of all, what every viewer is expected to be watching at that moment so that they have this information to hand. Yeah, obviously. And secondly, if they didn't do that and they didn't give you that information, 
and you said, oh, I was watching TV at 10.30 this morning and I saw Philip Schofield waving his bare ass and I would like to complain about it, they would say, well, can you please let us know who the exact transmission response... Yeah. Well, exactly. You have to know which ITV contractor put Philip's bare ass on the air. Yes. There's no way the regulator could work that out themselves from the, the very obvious information that they would have to hand based on the time of day and where you live. So... <laughs> So you had this formal startup process from 9.25 to 9.30, which the regulator insisted upon. And then from 9.30, it was schools programmes. Oh, yes. OK. I, I used to watch those as well. By the time 1987 rolls around, it's no longer necessary to have the massive startup sequence. And also, ITV had palmed off schools programmes to Channel 4. Right. Yeah. This basically meant that there was a 9.25 slot where a game show could go. There was a slot where something cheap needed to be put in that you could churn out with little money, little effort and and get loads of content. Exactly. And uh, we're going to hear some examples of that now. But it is just worth saying that the 925 anomaly still exists on ITV to this day. And a couple of years ago, they, they made Lorraine run from 9 till 10. So you'd think from a viewer perspective, it's not there anymore. But actually, if you live in Scotland, between 9 and 9.25, it's branded ITV because ITV owned the breakfast franchise. Yes. But then at 9.25 a.m., when STV's franchise kicks in, the branding magically changes to STV. Do you often take the sleeper up to Dundee just to have a little look at that? Absolutely. You know, it's important to check these things out. Thought you might. The first 925 game show launched on the 7th of September 1987, and it was Chain Letters. Okay, yeah, I remember it well. Do you remember how to play it? Have you got a little musical bit of advice for me? Well, funnily enough, I do, because Chain Letters is the show where the theme tune explains the rules. Take a word, change your letter, do it again, and you gotta change Shall we sing along? All right, let's have a go. Take, Take a, word, a word, change a letter, letter do, do it, it again, again, and now you've got, got a chain. chain. That's, That's how you play chain letters. Chain letters. How many times do you think you've listened to that theme tune in your life? I mean, it's probably hundreds, isn't it? Yeah, I still never quite picked up the melody, have you? Charming. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you play AA chain letters. Got it, yeah. Chain Letters is the show that has probably got through more hosts than anyone else. Can you remember any of the hosts? I think I get this confused. Crosswits, to be honest. So Chain Letters... I'm just going to have to guess at some of the people who were around at the time, and you can tell me if they ever had a go. Okay. Um, Andrew O'Connor. Yes, Andrew O'Connor hosted. Yes. Uh, Darren Day. Darren Day did not host. Um, I don't know. I'm stuck. So the first host was Jeremy Beadle. Oh, okay. Then Andrew O'Connor. Then Alan Stewart. I don't remember Alan. Who is Alan Stewart? I don't know. Sorry, Alan. Then Ted Robbins. Oh, yeah. The legendary Ted Robbins. Ted Robbins has been around the TV industry for a very long time and has been in almost everything without ever becoming really a household name. But you you would know him. You would recognise him. I think he's done a lot of warm up for all sorts of shows. Right. Whenever he appears, he's really good. I last saw him in the Crackerjack revival. Crackerjack! He's also a cousin of Paul McCartney, and his his sister, Kate Robbins, wrote the theme tune to Surprise, Surprise. She did. And her daughter... Emily Atak. She's famous now. Jungle runner-up. Between the four of them in that family, Emily Atak, Kate Robbins, Ted Robbins, and Paul McCartney, it's hard to say who's had the most successful career. Writing the Surprise, Surprise theme tune is probably the pinnacle. 
But that is one of the, the top tunes of the 20th century. I'm not sure any of the rest of the family can compete with that. Absolutely not. There were two more after Ted Robbins, though. Go on. Vince Henderson. Never heard of him. And Dave Spikey. Oh, Dave Spikey was with Peter Kay in Phoenix Nights. Exactly. And apparently Peter Kay wrote a lot of Dave Spikey's jokes on chain letters. Okay. So as well as the hosts, the show featured a computer called Wordsworth. Very high tech, I imagine. Very high tech. Wordsworth would tell you what words were in play and he'd tell you what the words were worth. That's clever, isn't it? Yeah. Words, worth, I like it. Do you want to know about the rounds that made up chain letters? Yeah, please talk me through it. In the first round, each contestant was given a word, and they had to make as many other words as possible by changing one letter at a time. How many letters are in the word, or does it change? For most of the rounds, it was four letters. You got any examples of starting words? I can give you an example, and there was a very particular way you had to say your answer. So, for example, imagine the word cart, C-A-R-T. That would be on the screen. Okay. Right? Yep. So then you would say... Change the R to an N to make can't. Can't. C-A-N-T. Yep. Gotcha. And you have to say it in that format. And then the whole point is it's chain letter, so you have to do it again. Right, yep. And then you've got a chain. So you might, for example, say, change the A to a U to make... Uh, well, actually, no, that doesn't work, does it? Do you think that would have been allowed in the uh, Ted Robbins era? I think Ted Robbins would would be disappointed if you said that word. Not angry, he's just disappointed. Whereas Dave Spikey, club comedian, probably heard worse. I should imagine so. In that first round, you have 45 seconds to make as many changes as possible, and you get £5 a word, no proper nouns, you can't change the same letter twice in a row. Okay, yeah, got you. So quite straightforward. Then we move on to the second round, the booby trap round. Right. Each contestant plays this in turn, and they have to pick a word, and they have to pick which letter they want to change. And then the other two contestants have to try and guess what they're going to change it to, setting a booby trap. Hang on a second. So if the word was ball, and then I say I want to change the A, then you write down... I'd write down bell. So if I choose bell, then I lose. But if I say bill, then I win. Exactly. Gotcha. And then you get the opportunity to do it again, to double it. Yep. And then again to double, double it. Right, okay. You need to pick a letter where there's multiple words that you, you'd be able to think of and ones where you could avoid the obvious. Exactly. So there's a bit of strategy involved. Okay. Should we try it? Let's have a go. I've got three words for you to pick. Game, maze or book. I'll have game, please. Which letter would you like to change? I will change the G, please. We now have 10 seconds to think of our words. So I've locked in my word. Okay. What would you like to change first? I will change the G to a T to make tame. That's not what I've put, so you've just won £10. Woohoo! Would you like to double that and try again? Yes, please. So what would you like to change the T to? Change the T to an L to make lame. Unfortunately, that's what I've written. Ah, you so-and-so. So you owe me 20 quid. Oh, this is not going very well. No. I don't think you're getting this commission. Shall we try it one more time, and this time I'll go? Okay. So left on the board is maze and book, and I think I'm going to go maze. So M-A-Z-E. And I'm going to change the Z. I'm going to change the Z to a T to make mate, M-A-T-E. Okay, that is not what I have written down. Cool. So I've won £10. Yeah, you're going to go again? I'm going to go again. I'm going to change the T to a C to make mace, M-A-C-E. That is also not what I've written down. I guess I should go again. 
question is what to go for now. You see, this is quite good because we don't have so many choices left, but I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm, you know, there's 40 pounds on the line here, but I'm going to change the C to an L to make male. Gotcha, mofo. Oh, no. Unlucky. Now you owe me 40 pounds. Knock off the 20 that I owe you. So that's 20 quid coming my way, please. Yeah, should we just end this show here? <laughs> okay, chain letters. That was fun. That was the booby trap round. Yeah, oh, there's more. Oh, there's more. Then the final game. The final game was a bit unfair. So the final game was called Tie the Leader. And this game played very similarly to the previous rounds, except it's on the buzzer. Okay. Wordsworth would tell you which letter to change, but he could also tell you to add a letter or take a letter away. Okay. And I was always waiting for them to get really long words, but they only ever went to five letters. So it was either four letters or five. Right. But then he also told you what the word was worth. Wordsworth. And it could be £10, £20, etc. Or it could be tie the leader. And so if you buzzed in and it was on tie the leader, you could have answered no questions for the rest of the show and instantly you had the same score as the leader so potentially you only needed to get two questions right one tie the leader and then one to get yourself ahead of the leader gotcha. which you can argue whether that is a, a sensible mechanic or not yeah no it doesn't seem to be fairly weighted no and then the person who had the most cash at the end of that round went through to the super chain okay what's the super chain you have one minute to make 10 changes and if you did that you won a thousand pounds. That's actually pretty good money. It's not not, it's a not bad, bad prize, for nine twenty-five in the morning. No. no. How often did it happen though? That's the thing. I bet it hardly ever happened. Well, shall we see if you can do okay, it? Okay, let's have a go. So I'm going to get sixty seconds on the clock. Yep. You up for taking the other word we didn't use in the booby trap round? Yeah, let's do it. Book B double O K. Okay. You ready? <sighs> yep. Your time starts now. Okay. Change the second O to an N to make bonk. Yes. Change the O to an A to make bank. Yes. Change the B to a T to make tank. Yes. Change the N to an L to make talk. Yes. Change the K to an E to make tail. Yes. Change the T to a P to make pale. Yes. Change the A to an I to make pile. Yes. Change the P to an M to make mile. Yes. Change the I to an O to make mole. Yes. One more. Change the L to a P to make mope. And you've won £1,000. Oh, that was uh, that was actually a lot of fun. Well, hopefully that'll get Chain Letters commissioned. Yeah, I mean, you're off to a very strong start with your pictures today. Well, I'm glad you think so. But maybe you're looking for something a little different. Something travel-themed. Okay, what have you got for me? My next format for you is Runway. I remember the name and... Uh, you've been on holiday, so of course you remember a runway. I remember the name of the TV show Runway. Oh, okay. And I seem to recall it was presented by Richard Maidley. It was. But I don't remember anything else about it. So the first series was hosted by Chris Searle in 1987. Never heard of him. Then Richard Maidley took over for four series. Would Richard Maidley do the 9.25 to 9.55 slot and then be back at 10.30 with This Morning? Yeah. Right, that was a lot of Richard in the morning. It was a lot of Richard in the morning. And they sort of bigged up the fact that he'd be on later. And of course, before the 9.25 game show, they did a little link up with Liverpool. Right, okay. So he'd be doing a live trailer with Judy talking about what was happening on This Morning. And then he'd say, but first of all, it's me with Runway. Pretty much. Right. Should we listen to the Runway theme? Please. Oh, I'm feeling this.
Navidad. Nice. I enjoyed that a lot. It's not bad, is it? Really funky theme tune, right? But then the other thing that set the show apart was it had a pointless turntable. Well, a pointless turntable? Yeah. <laughs> what, what does that mean? So before a round, the stage would rotate. Right, but to no, no event, it doesn't do anything. Well, it meant that they could play the theme again. Right. Well, you've got to have a gimmick, haven't you? Fair enough, I suppose. What would happen then? What was the show? Because airports are really boring places. That's one thing about sort of giving something a, an airport theme. It's like a really dull setting. Maybe once you've heard the format, you'll look at airports in a new light. Okay, I'm excited. There were three rounds, and the first round was the check-in. Yep, okay. Which consisted of queuing. Yeah. No, 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 it didn't. So in the check-in round, we'd see each contestant's passport. Well, their real passport? Well, they're faked for TV passports. Right, okay, gotcha. We'd see their name, their occupation, which uh-huh. hasn't been in a passport in years, but never mind. And we'd see where they come from. But their date of birth would be blanked out. Right, yes. So this leads to the first round where the other contestants had to guess what year the person was born in. No, no, no. You've got to guess the age of your fellow contestants. You've got to guess the age of your fellow contestants. horrifying. Yeah. And of course, if you overage them, hilarity ensued in theory. But I mean, that's just so rude, right? It's incredibly rude. And you've got this being hosted by the least tactful person on television i can only imagine there must have been moments when people were absolutely devastated absolutely and yes you're right to say that richard isn't the most tactful person yeah he is a real life partridge yeah do you want to hear him interacting with one of the contestants please have you got blue blood in that picture mark they're very wistful how old were you when that was taken just over a year old just over a year you've got beautiful eyes which are hidden now behind the specs you ought to get contact lenses you've got wonderful eyes hasn't he? And he's got nice eyes, don't you think? I don't fancy him. I'm not, I don't, don't get me wrong. You know, I just, just think he's... I think it's important for men to know when another man's attracted. <laughs> so, OK, I, I put the Alan Partridge noise on at the end there. But the rest of that clip is Richard uh, I don't, having... I don't mind him being sort of vaguely flirty with a, a, a male contestant, but it's no. just the, the awkwardness of how he's doing it. It makes my stomach want to eat itself. Quite. It's surprising that they didn't give Richard supermarket sweep in this slot, to be honest. He's got some experience of running fast through the checkout. <laughs> he has, yes. <laughs> I think we have to point out that that was a misunderstanding. Is that right? For legal reasons, okay. it was a misunderstanding. misunderstanding. Sorry, Richard. Yes. Once great offence had been caused by guessing people's ages incorrectly, the person who had just been offended had to answer questions about their birth year. Right, okay. Then we move on to the departure board round. Each contestant gets a board and all the answers are displayed. Nine answers are displayed on the board and they all relate to a particular category. Richard then asks nine questions. Those questions don't relate to the category. It's all a bit weird. Right, okay. Probably best if we play an example. All right, let's have a go. Just before we do, I need to get ready. Snaps off rubber band. Clears throat. (laughs) And wishes you the best. (laughs) Oh, Richard. He's still in work. Yes. He still gets gainful employment to this day. He's an absolute legend, isn't he? Judy's too embarrassed of him to be ever seen outdoors these days, but Richard's still out and about. Let's rotate the board. Your departure board features the Italia 1990 England Men's World Cup squad. Okay, yeah, and what do I have to do? So I will read out a question and the answer will be one of those names. And if you get it wrong, you have to keep going until you find it. Okay. But the answer is then crossed off the board. Right. There's a potential nine points here. Okay. So let me give you the answers. 
Robson, Parker, Beardsley, Seaman, Walker, Barnes, Butcher, Stevens, and Gascoigne. We start with what was the surname of Liverpool's finest rapper? Barnes. Isn't that amazing? A Liverpool question for an LFC fan. <laughs> what is the surname of the original host of the University Challenge? Gascoigne. Correct. It wasn't Paul Gascoigne, it was Bamba. Bamba Gascoigne. In the TV series Dad's Army, what is the occupation of Corporal Jones? Butcher. Correct. What was the surname of Bonnie, the partner in crime of Clyde Barrow? It's tricky. Parker. Correct. Which former S Club 7 singer had sweet dreams for a Californian airport? Okay, that was um, Stevens, Rachel Stevens. Yes, sweet dreams, my LAX. What was the surname of the original Rover's Return landlady? Walker, Annie Walker. Correct. I'm looking for one half of an English pop duo who murdered music in the mid-90s. Robson. Correct. Of Robson and Jerome. And which Aubrey won notoriety for Oscar Wilde's play Salome? Beardsley. Correct. So I'm just left with Seaman. Yes. <laughs> That's the exact joke I've written down. <laughs> Which means we have a general question on Italia 90. Okay. Who sang the theme tune to the BBC's coverage of the Italia 90 World Cup? Pavarotti. Correct. You've got all nine questions right. That was a lot of fun. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Then the third round. So you know how we were saying in chain letters the third round was a bit unfair? Yeah. Well, they've carried that through to runway. The third round was called Dirty Tricks, and that was questions on the buzzer. And if you buzzed in and got the answer correct, you could choose between taking two points for yourself or taking four points off one of your opponents. Have we just completely abandoned the airport theme at this point in the quiz then? Well, essentially, yes. Because this has got nothing to do with the airport experience at all. I mean, I suppose the dirty tricks that were going on between BA and Virgin at the time. But but no, this doesn't really have anything to do with the airport theming at all. Is that right? Is, is that why they had a round called Dirty Tricks, do you think? No, I just made that up. Oh, OK. Because that would have been quite a compelling That, that would have been a good bit of satire, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I get you. So I get a question right. Either I take two points or I take four points off one of the others. And so again, you could find that you've been really, really good all quiz long. But if you're not quick on that buzzer, all your points could get taken away from right, you. Right, OK. The person who had the most points went through to the end game. Although, confusingly, in the first few series, the end game was actually played at the start of the next episode. What? Why, why would you do that? Is it to try to get people to carry to get over? To watch the next day. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire would do that, of mm. course, famously, would be stripped across the week. But in those days, you were sort of desperate to find out how this person was going to do. You were deeply invested. I can't imagine people felt the same way about Runway. Also, if you're going to watch a 9.25am quiz on ITV, it's because you've got nothing else to do. It's not because you've made an appointment to view it from the day before. Yeah. All this will do is leave people dissatisfied on that one day that they've got off sick and they don't get to see the conclusion. What am I going to do? Take tomorrow off as well, Richard? Then you'll end up watching the whole of the next episode and then I've got to do it again. So you never go back to work. No wonder there were so many unemployed people in the UK at the time. Well, they obviously realised that this was a bad idea and they did change it later on and then the end game was genuinely the end game. Right. In the end game, you had to answer nine questions in 90 seconds. Okay. So there was this amazing board that depicted a runway. You had to get to the end of the runway. No, I remember that. I, I, I remember what that looked like, yeah. So it sort of, was it, would it, bit, parts of it light up as you exactly. got closer to the yes. end? Yeah, I remember. Yes. And so your first questions were on a country that had just been assigned to you. 
Right, okay. And then once you'd got three questions right, you could choose to change country. Okay. So yeah, your first country might be Australia. You have to keep going until you get three questions right about Australia. And then yeah. you'd be asked, do you want to stick with Australia or would you like to go to Brazil? Okay. If you got nine questions right in 90 seconds, you won a holiday. Or rather, they sort of ask, where do you want to go? And the person would say, oh, I'd really like to go to Australia. And then yeah. Richard would say, oh, yeah, it'd be great. You have, have fun in Australia. What he wouldn't actually say is what Granada gave the contestant. Which was? Probably 500 quid towards the cost of a holiday in right, Australia. Right, yeah. They, yeah didn't, they wouldn't pay for the whole thing They didn't actually win a holiday, no. Right, yeah. But, you know, all in all, I think it was a, a nice little game show. Okay, yeah, that sounds uh, reasonable. It, it's got a theme, it's got a hook. There's plenty of flaws in the format, though, and that's likely to count against it when I come to make my final decision. But you've pitched two shows so far. feels like at this point I should tell you what my current position is, the show that I have in mind for the slot. Okay. The one that you're going to need to beat. Yes. You're going to have to work hard because I think this is a cracking little TV show. What is it? Win, lose or draw. Oh, that is a cracking little TV show. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, it was Give Us a Clue meets Pictionary. It was made by STB and it ran for nine series from 1990 to 1998. Wow. First, it was on in the 3 p.m. slot, but it did settle into this 9.25 a.m. slot, so it does qualify. Okay. The show had two teams, one all-male and one all-female, and each team would consist of two celebrities plus one member of the public. The celebs were there for a week, so they would establish a rivalry between them and the member of the public would change every day. Yeah. The prize money obviously went to the members of the public. Presumably the celebs were on an appearance fee that we never learnt about. And they'd be on a nice little retainer there. The game was that you'd have to communicate a phrase or a title by drawing on a flip chart. So it might be cannon and ball. You'd draw, I don't know, some braces because that would represent little Bobby. Yeah, I mean, you probably do that and people probably wouldn't know what you're on about. Whereas if you drew a cannon and a ball, right. then okay. they'd get there much faster. See, you'd have to use those sorts of smarts. I need to rethink my strategy. Yeah, but you could play along at home because the host would tell you when the answer was on screen. So you could close your eyes. Yeah. It would run through various rounds. So in the first round, the three team members would take turns to try to draw a given phrase or title in a minute. Yeah. And they'd get £50 if it was guessed in the first 30 seconds. At the 30-second point, the prize would drop to £30. And then if they didn't guess it, the other team would have a chance to guess and they could win £20. Okay. And then in the final round, they would pick a single member of the team, whoever was best at drawing, and they would attempt to draw as many objects as possible within two minutes. And the team would win £10 for each one. And you'd be allowed to pass twice, but, but once, once you'd, you'd used twice, your passes, you'd just have to you'd have to keep going with the drawing, and you couldn't move on to the next object until the current one had been guessed. And the team that won overall would get a one hundred pound bonus. Nice. So the hosts of it, do you remember who hosted this show? It had three hosts in its prime era. Do you remember a couple of them? So first of all, it was the legend that is Danny Baker. It was the great broadcaster Danny Baker. Then second of all, it was the brilliant Bob Mills. Ah, uh, you've missed one. Have I? Because I was going to say the third person was Lisa Tarbuck. That was in the revival. So between Danny Baker and Bob Mills, there was uh, another presenter who made something of a career of taking over from Danny Baker. Oh. Because he also did the Daz Doorstep Challenge. He did the Daz Doorstep Challenge. Could it be uh, Shane Ritchie? It was indeed Shane Ritchie, yes. Danny Baker was obviously acting as uh, Shane's agent. Did Shane uh, talk about it in his autobiography? 
Well, I, I haven't read that part of Shane's autobiography. Right. As I say, I've only read one paragraph of Shane's autobiography. Uh, once, once you'd read that he didn't like run the risk, that was it. Yeah, You're not reading right. the rest of it. I mean, I've still got it somewhere, and maybe I should have dug it out for this show, but I couldn't be asked. Well, fair enough. The set for this show was a drawing room. See what they did there? Drawing room. Yeah. It looked incredibly cheap and tacky, but, you know, did the job. And the celebrities were absolutely top-notch. Go on, who did they get? The Crankies. Wow. Various gladiators. Yes. One of the fellas out of Hail and Pace. Only one. Yeah. Even <laughs> though the whole point was two celebrities. Well, you know, the other one out of Hail and Pace was probably very in demand. And uh, <laughs> and then of the other celebrities, there were a bunch of them whom I have worked with over, over the years. Oh, yes. I mean, I say worked with, most of them wouldn't be able to pick me out of a lineup, but I've worked in the same room as them. Peter Simon. Mm. Pat Sharp. Okay. David Kid Jensen. Wow, yeah. Paul Ross. Yeah. And Cheryl Baker. Cheryl Baker. Lots of these people would appear series after series because, you know, it was probably fun and it was probably decent cash. As I said, there would be members of the public on there too. Yes. See if you recognise the voice of this young unknown. Michael, come and join me. Hello, Mickey. Hi, Bob. Do you prefer Mike, Michael, Mickey, what? Whatever makes you more comfortable. Mickey, is Mickey all right? Uh, Mickey's fine. I might, I might start off with Mickey and then Michael. Like, just breeze into Mike. He well, sounds familiar, well, doesn't he? Uh, and you're from St. Helens, big rugby country. St. Helens. Yeah. 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 Are you, trying, are you trained as a potter? Have you got a wheel? Have you got... Uh, trained as a potter? Own, no, uh, well, that's I have problem. to bother with... Could oh, well, it be, be the problem, then, but, but Johnny Vegas? Well, let's have a listen. Well, I've been trying to break into the world of comedy, Bob. Trying to break into the world of comedy. So it's Michael. Oh, my stage name. Oh, you, so you don't use your real name? No, I don't. Stage name, which is Johnny Vegas. Hey, what about that? Johnny, Johnny Vegas. Hey. Can I get me plug in? It's not a night out. It's a memory. It's not a night out. It's a memory. So he was there with Yvette Fielding and Cheryl Baker and ended up becoming more famous probably than the celebrities he was on with. Oh, well, it's incredible, isn't it? That was his first TV appearance. Bob Mills was sort of taking the mickey out of him for wanting to become a comedian. Bob Mills being an established comedian at that point. Yeah. And since then, Johnny Vegas has become a much more famous and successful comedian than Bob Mills ever was. So who's laughing now? Bob. <laughs> we'll have to cover some of Bob's other shows, though, at some point. Bob was a very underrated TV presenter, I think. He really um, was. Like Danny Baker, he, he did have an edge of creative genius to him. Definitely. I don't know if you ever saw In Bed With Me Dinner. Yeah, I remember that show. Yeah, Late Nights, ITV. Brilliant show. I'm sure Bob will pop up again on this podcast at some point. I certainly hope so. Back to win, lose or draw. Yeah, so it's basically a game of Pictionary. And yes. obviously this is going to work really well in an audio format. Yes. But if I try to draw an object, would you like to try and guess what it is? You'll have to be as quick as you possibly can. Okay. That's the game. Okay. Uh, so it's a circle. And uh, you've drawn, oh, I don't know. I mean, you look like you could be starting to draw a knob. And, and now you're adding hairs. Uh, they, they do look like balls. Yeah, I think that, that that's a little protrusion coming out from the balls. Oh, but now I don't know what that is. Ah, oh, I think you could, could you be drawing a flower? No. Now it looks like you've drawn teeth. Uh, so is that a lion? No, it's a rabbit. It's, it's a, a rabbit. rabbit, you loser. Hang on. How can you say I've lost? The time wasn't up. The time was up. I just didn't set a buzzer, okay? You didn't get it right. It was a rabbit, and you said a lion, and you said a knob, so you lost. My next guess might have been rabbit. Yeah, but I didn't give you the time to do that, so you lost. Okay. 
That's win, lose, or draw. My reason for favouring it is because it was such a loose format. There was so much messing around that you could yeah. do. Basically, it was the host taking the mickey out of the celebrities and how bad they were at drawing. And uh, it was just fun. It was cheap and it was throwaway, but it was a fun show. Yeah, I love that show. You're absolutely right. I mean, it was all about that, that environment that those hosts created. It was just knockabout fun. They could do whatever they wanted, get humour out of anything. They'd just been given half an hour on ITV to muck about. Exactly right. I have to be honest, I am a bit worried. I think it's a very strong contender. But there are different facets that you want out of a game show, right? Yeah. The slot is 9.25 in the morning. Some people will be hungover. They might just want something easy to watch. Others, they just want a gentle little quiz. That's absolutely right. I've got an example of a gentle little quiz for you. Okay. It's called Lucky Ladders. Oh, I remember Lucky Ladders. So Lucky Ladders, hosted by the great Lenny Bennett, and he would always host wearing a jumper. It was very homely. A little bit of a mental workout as well, just to get you started for the day. Now, I've definitely got the rules for this a bit mixed up with the rules for chain letters in my head. So I'm looking forward to you reminding me what the mechanic of Lucky Ladders was. I mean, it's interesting that the show is based on uh, an American format called Chain Reaction. Okay. And presumably they had to change the name because you couldn't have two morning game shows with the word chain in it. It would get a bit confusing, wouldn't it? Lucky Ladders launched in 1988, so a year later than Chain Letters. Before we get into the rules, should we just look at the intros? The voiceover for the show was your mate Peter Simon, the aforementioned Peter Simon. I think it's fair to say he messed about with the intros a bit. And now, here's that lovable, laughing, ladders laddie, Lenny Bennett! And now, with a million quips from those wise-cracking lips, it's Lenny Bennett! And now... The man with the wheezes, he's the bee's kneeses, it's Lenny Bennett. And now, in person, it's Mr. Twinkle Tongue himself, Lenny Bennett. And now, here's your bouncing breakfast boy, Lenny Bennett. It gets worse every day, the bouncing breakfast boy. <laughs> that was the introduction from Peter Simon, the bouncing breakfast book. <laughs> very nice. I liked Twinkle Tongue. Yeah, it's very nice. Lenny would come out, he'd do his uh, little monologue, but he also tried to introduce a catchphrase, though it didn't catch on. It's breakfast time, you've all had your porridge, so welcome to Norwich and play... Welcome to Norwich, because the show is made by Anglia Television. Not the best catchphrase I've ever heard on a game show. No, I only found it on one episode. Right. So they obviously decided... It wasn't going to take off. It wasn't going to take off. What is a lucky ladder? Remind me. So a lucky ladder has seven words from top to bottom, and each word is somehow related to the word on the adjacent rungs. Yes, right. It's related to the word above it and the word below it. Exactly. And in the main game, the top and bottom words are shown, and the contestants have to fill in the ladder. Right, okay. And it consists of two teams of two, and play alternates between them. One person in the team will say, I want to take a letter under or above one of the existing words. And then the other person would have to guess based on the letter they were given. Yep, gotcha. And if they guessed correctly, they would retain control of the ladder. If they guessed incorrectly, the ladder would pass to the other team. They also had the option to give a letter to the other team and force the other team to try and guess, although hardly anyone ever bothered with that. That was a format point that seemed to get lost. Right. Uh, And that was basically it. If you guessed a word, you got 10 points. And if you completed the ladder, you got 20. Then they did it again, but they doubled the points. And they did it again, they doubled the points again. The first players to 200 points went through to the final ladder. But that's it. Very simple, very straightforward. 
very simple, very straightforward, perfect for 9.25 in the morning where, you, you know, you don't want to overthink things. And you don't want to spend too much money on developing a format. No, it was clearly made very much on the cheap uh, and you'll get real bang for your buck. Okay. So would you like to play a sample ladder? Sure. I'm going to do this in the format of the final game because we haven't really got the, the passing backwards and forwards element. I will give you the first word yep. and then I'll give you the first letter of the next word. Okay. And you can ask for a subsequent letter a maximum of five times over the course of the game. Okay. Your first word is cracking. Cracking. Okay. And the first letter of the next word is O. Okay. So this is a word that's got something to do with cracking and it starts with O. Yes. Open. No, I'll give you another letter. W. Owl. That's right. It's owl as in cracking owl sanctuary. Got it. Yes. Your next word begins with B. Barn. Correct. Uh, you've got four letters remaining, remember, so you're doing very well. Okay. Your next word begins with D. Uh, I need another letter, please. A. So you've got D, A. Dance. Correct. Three letters left, three words to get. Your next word begins with M. Music. Correct. Your next word begins with B. Uh, I need another letter, please. O. So you've got B-O. That is very rude. You've got B-O for your word. All right, uh, box then. Correct. Wow. And your final word begins with T. Is it TV? It is TV. I see. So it was cracking TV at the top and bottom. Very nice. Well done, Luke. Fun. As I say, simple. That's all there is to it. Very simple. Very straightforward. There's a lot to be said for simplicity in this slot. Yes. I'd just like to talk about Lenny Bennett. Oh, yeah. I think he was a good host. He moved things along, but he obviously realised the format was a bit rubbish. It's always a pleasure to appear in front of an audience that will do as it's told. Um, <laughs> oh, it's lovely. I love it. Lucky that is we've got up for so long, you know. And people say to me, like, how did you get the job as the host of Lucky Ladders? And I think it's about time I told people, you see, what actually happened was I met the producer of the show. Uh, it was the first time I'd been in the Betty Ford Clinic. I was all right, but he was there suffering from a severe overdose of You've Been Framed. So yeah, a little bit of disdain for the format there. Yeah, less so in the lame joke that he tells at the end, so much as the resigned voice at the start where he says, oh, Lucky yes. Ladders, we've been doing this a long time. Like, that really felt like it came from his very soul. I think that might even be the first episode of the series. <laughs> but this isn't the first time that Lenny was involved with something a little bit naff. Here's the launch of Television Southwest on the 1st of January, 1982. <laughs> Welcome, it's party night. Yes, it's TSW, the sign and the symbol of independent television here in the Southwest. Your new programme company, and tonight we at TSW, which we hope you will come to look upon as television simply wonderful, right? <laughs> television simply wonderful. That's what we should have called this podcast. Maybe we should change the name. What you didn't see, because this is an audio-based format, is all through that you had the executives of TSW dancing and trying to oh, be trendy. Oh, no. Oh, it was just 
just awful. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. That, that idea of the executives putting themselves on screen for the launch, even if they didn't dance, it's just such a horrible idea. Yeah. So that's Lucky Ladders. Okay, Lucky Ladders. Right, got it. Shall we move on to my last choice? Maybe you'll prefer this one. Yes, please. This is the killer. What have you got for me? I have Supermarket Sweep. Right. Do I need to say anything else? No. Supermarket Sweep, a very entertaining TV show. So Dale Winton presenting in a high camp style. Members of the public answering questions, darting around a fake supermarket, shoving things in their trolley. What's not to love? That's exactly it. It started in September 1993, ran through till 2001, Dale Winton hosted. There was a revival series in 2007. We don't really talk about that because ITV didn't even air all the episodes. It did so badly. Uh, And then it was revived in 2019 with Rylan. I can imagine Rylan doing it too. Uh, And it's a US format, perhaps unsurprisingly. Yeah. Do you know one of my party pieces? No. I can do the opening announcement to Supermarket Sweep from my head. I'd be thrilled to hear it. So you have to see, I'm not reading from a card. I can assure the listener that this is from the top of your head. Are you ready to go shopping? Yes. Step inside a very special supermarket, the only supermarket in the world that gives you money. £2,000 is waiting on our shelves to be won by some lucky person in this store. The aim of the game is to shop smarter and faster than the next person, and everything in this supermarket is up for grabs. So go on, fill your trolley as high as you can because shopping has never been so much fun. Yes, there's prizes in store and much, much more when you play Supermarket Sweep. Very impressive, Luke. Well done. You've spent your life well. Do you want to hear it done professionally? Sure. Are you ready to go shopping? Inside a very special supermarket, the only supermarket in the world that gives you money. £2,000 is waiting on our shelves to be won by some lucky person in this store. The aim of the game is to shop smarter and faster than the next person. And everything in this supermarket is up for grabs. Go on, fill your trolley as high as you can because shopping has never been so much fun. Yes, there's prizes in store and much, much more when you play Supermarket Sweep. Okay, so really I should have been going, check it out, check it out. Well, ideally, yes. Sorry, I'll let you down there. Bobby Bragg is the announcer on Supermarket Sweep. He brought a lot of energy into the show, particularly into the final sweep. But before we get to the final sweep, we need to go through the rounds. Okay. The first game was the mini sweep. Right. Dale would read out a clue to the product. Yep. Uh, you buzz in, and if you got it right, you've got 10 seconds on your clock. Because the aim of the game is to build up time on your clock to use in the supermarket later. Yep. And then the other person in the team would have to go and find that product that had been guessed in the mini-sweep. And if they did, they got £25 on their subtotal. And we'll talk about the subtotal in a minute. Okay. There were some games. One team member played each of the games. So we had such games as Rhyme Time, Reverse Reveal, Alphabet Soup. There was a memory game. And lots of pricing games. Would you like to play some of these games? Yeah, go on, let's have a go. So I've got a memory game for you. And we're going to go over to the checkout and see what is being bought. A jar of sweet and sour sauce. A packet of 10 dustbin liners. A tin of oxtail soup. And finally, some peach foam bath. Have you remembered them? Oh, thank you very much indeed, Melanie. Oh, she's lovely, our Mel. So I hope you've remembered them. Forgot them instantly. Instantly. How many dustbin liners pass through the checkout? Three. Ten. (laughs) What flavour was the soup? Tomato. Oxtail? 
What fragrance was the foam bath? Uh, that was like pink lime. <laughs> Peach. <laughs> I knew it was something to do with pink and fruit. The peaches are pink. They're pinkish. Pinkish. Uh, what was the first product to go through the checkout? Um, a locomotive engine. It was a jar of sweet and sour sauce. I'm afraid you've not added any time to your clock. I thought I'd done so well. Should we try a pricing game instead? Sure. The first pricing game I've got for you is called Most Expensive. And you just have to tell me which of these is the most expensive. Okay. I've looked all of these up on Tesco.com. Right, okay. So hopefully Tesco will be sponsoring this show in the future. <laughs> yeah, I imagine probably. So your first product is 300 grams of cottage cheese. Okay. Cottage cheese featured on every episode, so we had to put some in. Okay. Then 16 crab sticks. Yeah. Which, okay. of course, don't actually contain any crab. No, and from 1993, manufacturers have been legally obliged to label them crab-flavoured sticks. And a six-pack of chocolate mousse. Mm. Which one of those do you think is the most expensive? Is it the cottage cheese, the crab sticks, or the chocolate mousse? Crab sticks. Well, shall we see? Yes. The crab sticks, £1.10. Yep. The chocolate mousse, £1. Yep. The cottage cheese, £1.60. Oh, drat. Don't worry, we can play another pricing game. This one is called Least Expensive. Okay. So let me just explain the rules. I think I can probably guess. Well, I just want to be certain. You have to pick the product that's the least expensive. Right. Okay. So I'm going to read out three products. They all have a price associated with yeah. them. Yeah. One of them is cheaper than the other two. And I'd like to know which one that is. Okay. So gotcha. it's, called, it's called Least Expensive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking for the one that costs the, the smallest amount of money. I'm with you. Okay. You sure? It's, it's the least expensive that we're after, the one that's the cheapest. Okay, right, got it. Sorry. Yes, no. Okay, I see. Good. I've got an aubergine. Aubergine. I've got a spotted dick. Okay. And I've got two cream horns. <laughs> Which one of aubergine, spotted dick, and two cream horns is the least expensive? I think the aubergine will be the cheap one. The aubergine? Yes. 75 pence. Oh, fantastic. I've done well here. Your spotted dick? Yes. Is worth £1.35. pence. Yeah. Shall we see if you've got it with the cream horns? Yes. £1.60. Yes, I've won. You've got another 10 seconds to take into the main sweep. This is the denouement of the show. Yeah. All three teams take the time that they've won on those twee little games into the supermarket. Can I see if I can remember this? They, they, they run around this fake supermarket set and they have to pick up particular items. They've got a shopping list they have to get. Everything in the supermarket is up for grabs, as, as right. we heard in the opening. Yeah. But absolutely, there is a, a shopping list. So Dale will tell them three items that he would like them to bring back. Right. And if they get those three items, that's worth a £100 bonus. Okay, but also they can throw anything else they in. They can throw the, anything the, else in that they like. And they get to keep those things or the value of them. Uh, it's not clear what they actually right. won. Okay. There were some other things, though, that they could pick up while they were going round. So there was the manager's special, big bucket of tins. And if you found the tin with your team's colour, you won £50 on your subtotal. Okay. Uh, then there was the pick and mix. Yep. If you weighed out 500 grams of five varieties of sweets, you won £50. Okay. Most famously of all, there were inflatable bonuses oh, that were yes. dished out around the store. And if you picked up one of these, these inflatables, they were worth anywhere between 25 and £100. And they have a big sticker on them that you they would. rip off and it would show you how much it was worth. The team would typically have two and a half minutes, say. They'd run around. They'd go wild in the aisles, as Dale would always say. Yeah. And they would put stuff in their trolleys. They'd hopefully do the shopping list, grab the inflatable bonus. 
and then they'd come back, they'd be checked out, and we'd find out the value of the goods in their trolley. Okay. The first part was finding out their subtotal. That consisted of all the bonuses, like the shopping list and the mini-sweep earlier. Yeah. Then they would reveal the inflatable bonus. They'd rip it off, as you say, and the bonus would be 25 50 75 or £100. Pounds. Yeah. I really hated the inflatable bonus. Why was that? It turned a game of skill into a game of chance. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, know, you go to this trouble of picking the right products, do your shopping list, you put in an, an oversized turkey, maybe an ironing board, you know, they're worth a fair bit. You'd go to the CD rack. This is still the 90s, so CDs were a thing. Yeah, and expensive too. They're expensive, at least 10 quid each, right? Yeah. And then you'd come back and you'd peel off the sticker on your inflatable banana and it was only worth £25. And through dumb luck, the other team had beaten you. Exactly. There was one constant in that show, though. The value of that shopping list. You know, £100 instantly on your subtotal if you brought back Dale's three items. Right. Standard thing in Supermarket Sweep. Do Dale's shopping list. Yeah. You could be the third place team going into the main sweep and have much less time than anyone else. But time after time after time, if they'd done the shopping list, they would win. And I just never got why people didn't pick up on this. Always do the shopping list. I could see you would get very upset in the mornings. I would be screaming at the television. Just do get, the shopping list! Get the cottage cheese! You'd get really, really involved with that show. I would want the show in this slot to be fun to watch, not, not raising your blood pressure too much. Uh, it was fun to watch at, at the contestants' ineptitude at not getting the shopping list. Gotcha. Okay. The team that had the highest total went through to the super sweep. The two teams that didn't, they left with a parting gift. And that's how Dale described it. It was never said what the parting gift was. He just said you would get a parting gift and he wouldn't explain it. Wow, that's weird. When Dale died, it was obviously very sad, but I realised I'd never be able to ask him what was the parting gift on Supermarket Sweep. Maybe you could find someone who'd been a contestant and ask them. Well, I could, but it would have been nicer to ask Dale, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would be better. That's true. So the end game, the Super Sweep, you have one minute to run around the supermarket to find the three specially marked products and behind the third product was £2,000 in cash. That's good. That's it's a good, good prize. prize. It's a very good prize. Yeah, in the 90s as well. That was a good, good prize. So I've got some clues for you. Okay. If you'd just like to step outside to the uh, supermarket set that I've had built uh, next to your house. Nice. Oh, yeah, I see it. It's very good. Looks like the Aldi. <laughs> it does. I will read out the clue. Then you have to run round and find it in the uh, supermarket set. Okay, sure. You have a minute, so your time will start after I've read the first clue. Hit me. It's not a plum, it's not a peach, it tastes a little bit of each. A fruit that's really in between, we're thinking of a... An aubergine? Fruit, fruit. Nectarine? Yes. Tangerine? It might be, it might be the nectarine. I'm not, I'm not very good at fruit and veg. Okay, I'll have a look. Yeah, aisle three. Yeah, yeah, it's just over there, go on, go on. I'm just upset that I said aubergine. Oh, come on, come on, you can do it. Oh, hang on, what's this? Hang on, this is like a, this is some sort of a fruit. Is this the one? That's the one. You want the next clue. You're watching your health, so don't eat like a vulture. For a fermented dairy product, try something with culture. Is it this this yoghurt, maybe? Yoghurt, yeah, it's yoghurt, yoghurt, yeah. Okay, right. Go go to the fridge section. Okay, hang on. I was hoping for a vegan yoghurt here, really, but okay, hang on, let me see this one. It's the 90s, they don't exist. Oh, yeah, okay. It'll be ski then. Here we go. That's it, right, and your final clue. 
A green veg so northern, you just have to try to find something pudding, not a pie. A green veg. Oh, it's peas. Peas. Peas, peas pudding. Peas, yeah, like pe- mushy pe- peas or something. Or pe- pe- peas pudding. Peas pudding. Peas pudding. Right, peas pudding. pudding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, God, I wouldn't even know what that looks like. Hang on. Okay. Oh, you're getting close. Oh, oh the time. Oh, oh, and time's up. Ah, oh, bollocks. Well, that's convenient because it means I don't have to pay two grand. Yeah, I suppose so. You owe me a grand from earlier anyway. Uh, I owe you 20 quid from chain letters. I thought I won a grand earlier. All right, we can pick this up. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Supermarket Sweep. Just uh, a couple of things we should add. The theme tune became a single. Yeah, I remember that. Will you dance with me or something? That's the one. Very impressive. Thank you. Uh, it's by MC Dale and the Barcodes. Nice. It was released uh, in an effort to be Christmas number one in 1994. But pipped to the post by what, Robson and Jerome? No. E17? E17. Yes. With Stay Another Day. Unfortunately, their campaign didn't really work because it peaked a couple of weeks before Christmas. Oh, that was daft. At number 72. Oh, very daft. It wasn't pipped at the post then. No. Utterly thrashed. Utterly, utterly thrashed. But we should conclude by saying... Next time you're at the checkout and you hear the beep, think of the fun you could be having on Supermarket Sweep. Think of the fun you could be having on Supermarket Sweep, which is why I present that show to you to commission for the 9.25 slot. Well, I am going to think very soon about which show I will commission for the 9.25 slot. But before I do, I've got a quick quiz for you to see how much you know about that 9.25 slot. Are you ready? I'm ready. Who presented Talk About? Andrew O'Connor. Correct. And for a bonus point, which sitcom did he help devise? Is it Peep Show? Correct. Derek Hobson, Chris Donnett, Steve Jones and Paul Ross all had stints as the UK hosts of this show, which is a cultural phenomenon in the States but never really took off here. Make sure you formulate your answer correctly. What is Jeopardy? Correct. Born Lucky was a game show presented by Jeremy Beadle, but which presenter, who we've talked about in our Saturday morning TV episode, composed the theme tune? I don't think I've ever heard of it. Would you like to have a guess at which presenter composed the theme tune? I will have a guess. It might have been a naff guitar song and it might have been Mike Reed. I see why you've guessed that, but the answer was Keith Chegwin. Oh, wow. And finally, when Give Us A Clue first started, it had the exact same theme tune as which BBC TV show? It was Grange Hill. Correct, you got four out of five there. Do I get a bonus point if I tell you the name and composer of the tune? Go on, what is it? Chicken Man by Alan Hawkshaw. Well done. There's no bonus point for it, though. You're still on four out of five. Oh, come on. So, it's time for us to decide whether you're going to get the commission or not. You have pitched Chain Letters, Runway, Lucky Ladders and Supermarket Sweep, but I've come in with Win, Lose or Draw. If I choose one of your four shows, then you will be given the money to go and produce your show and you'll have all the glory that comes with working in television. If I go with win, lose or draw, then there's no draw available here. You're going to be a loser. You'll leave this office in ignominy and disgrace. And you like to think of yourself as an expert on game shows, so it's going to be pretty humiliating for you if you don't get the pitch. I know, but look, I'm confident in my shows. Well, I'm ready. It's time for me to decide which show I'm going to commission. Now, the 9.25am slot consists of a lot of cheap filler. Yes. And that is sort of part of its charm. Yes. But you have pitched me a fair bit of cheap filler here today. That's, that's good, isn't it? Yes, but what I'm looking for something transcendent 
something that rises above and reaches the level of cult. Okay. And of the shows you've brought along today, only one would fulfil that criterion. So you're in some danger. I'd argue it's more than one. Well, I'm telling you, it's only one. Supermarket Sweep was fun and reached into the public consciousness. Win, Lose or Draw was also a lot of fun. Yes. And so those are the two shows that I'm taking through to my final decision today. So you're not even going to say anything about any of the other shows? You're just going. You're just going straight to supermarket sweep or win, lose, the, or draw. They're just. They're, there's very little to choose between them. You've, okay. you've, you've pitched me a fair bit of dross today, Luke, and uh, I'm <laughs> I'm a bit disappointed. Well, okay, but supermarket sweeps. Come on, you've got to admit, supermarket sweep is is a really exciting format. It really gets you going in the morning. You saved the best till last, and supermarket sweep was a fun, exciting, upbeat show. Yes. It was not as funny as Win, Lose or Draw. It didn't have the star celebrity appeal of Win, Lose or Draw. It had Dale. It never had any gladiators. However, Supermarket Sweep did rise more into the public consciousness than Win, Lose or Draw. It was better known. It was certainly a cult. And I am a little bit torn here. But above all else, I want Danny Baker somewhere in the cracking TV schedule. And I'm not sure where else he's going to fit in. I want Danny Baker in the cracking TV schedule, absolutely. I mean, we haven't done Pets Win Prizes yet. And I don't think we ever will. So, I am going to say to you, at this point, that I'm commissioning Win, Lose or Draw... You have not brought me a successful commission. I would like you now, please, to get out of my office. No, that's I. I that uh, well, that's really. My decision is final. Get out. I do not wish to hear from you again. Goodbye, sir. I'm sorry for wasting your time. Bye. That's it, Luke's gone. I'm going to have to end the show by myself. Thank you for listening to Luke and John Cracking TV. Cracking TV was produced and presented by me, John Furlong, and the very disappointing Luke Sluman. Our rather marvellous theme tune was written and performed by Simon McInerney. Luke and John Cracking TV is an IHOG factual entertainment production. Time to change the channel to Luke and John Cracking TV Luke and John Cracking TV